Welcome to the Quantum Leopard podcast. Uh, Quantum Leopard is a multi-award winning, pay what you like, no punching down, no picking on the audience, gender balance booking, central London Saturday night of lovely comedy and this is its podcast. Every episode will have a recording of a real live set from one of our nights and an interview with the comedy brain behind it. Uh, we have uh, videos of full shows up on patreon.com forward slash Quantum Leopard and that's going to have loads of sets that aren't in the podcast as well. Uh, we only charge when new live show videos come out. I'm your host and MC James Ross and this is Quantum Leopard. This episode we have the wonderful Elf Lions. Uh, this set was recorded on the uh, 26th of June 2021 by Matt Hyten at 21 Soho and the interview took place on the 17th of July 2022. Uh, this is our first show back after a big pandemic break so if you hear a slight hum in the background there's the sound of a terrible virus looming. Uh, contact warnings just briefly for uh, fertility, body image, uh, experience of disability, experience of endometriosis and sex parties which is quite a series of contact warnings. I'm giddy with anticipation. Enjoy! Across the carpet, like a happy Prince Paul of the world. 
to come to any of you, so I don't know if you're enjoying this, but to be honest, I give the vibe that I don't really care either right way. <laughs> Got out the priory and had a nice time. <laughs>
difficult. And I was very panicked because obviously I was like, this doesn't usually happen. Um, but I remember I rang the hospital. Um, I rang 999, as you do. And I felt really guilty about that because I thought, oh God, I don't want an ambulance to come out because I know they're so busy and these people often, people make so many pointless phone calls. Um, and, I wrote, and I lived with four other people who do proper jobs, they're musicians, and I didn't want to just like wait for them. I didn't want these paramedics to come and knock over all the ukuleles and just, <laughs> um, um, you know, so they had to get up early at 11. And um, <laughs> anyway, I had a 999, and this lady picked up the phone, she was from Newcastle, and, um, and she's like, hello, hello, little girl. <laughs> Do I take one paracetamol? Two? Thank <laughs> you. 
as a doctor, but they give you a choice. They're like, right, we can either give you a stethoscope or empathy, but you can't have both. So, so I was sort of visited by Dexter the early years, and he was like, right, so you've got really serious symptoms. Um, um, basically, uh, it's quite serious what's going to happen. We are going to operate, but we also have 12 young medical students. <laughs> and it would be really fantastic if they could just have a good old poke around just for practice. And I was like, that's absolutely fine. So I had those questions going, come on, you know, you can see the case, eh? I'm a second-year medical student, and I'm just going to ask you about the symptoms. Hello, my name's Tristram. I'm from Cambridge, so I'm here. And then <laughs>
Yes. Yeah. 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 Also, as well, can you, um, this is quite serious, can you please take, so I ordered, I'm doing five different solo shows this summer because <laughs> I just don't think the Fluoxa team's doing enough. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm not a man teacher. <laughs> and the door opened and the man just looked at me. He went, Wow. You're really tall. <laughs> so hi, it's my ex-wife. She's not dead. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, 
I'm not saying I've been to a sex party, but in sex parties or like sex events, there is always a room, it's like the red rumpus room of pain, okay? And in this room, it's where people who used to be sailors show you how many knots they could do. <laughs> <laughs> amazing set really really enjoyable and um, so that gig was uh, recorded on the uh, 26th of uh, june uh, 2021 it was our uh, first gig back after another hiatus uh, because of big um covid spike um so um elf elf thank you so much for a wonderful set and thank you so much for joining us um how were you feeling going into this gig like how did you how do you find the audience i remember being very relaxed and not really having any idea what i was going to do I think that's the thing about your gigs is I always know that I'm in a very supported space and the audience are very, everyone's on the same side from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. So um, unlike certain, and also the room is a really nice room to play, that the staging 
the route to the stage. There's certain things for me that are really important in how I quell any nerves. And it's just that walk to the stage. And I'm very familiar with that walk onto that stage. Um, but I think it's really evident that I didn't really have any idea what I was going to do. Like I knew what <laughs> I was going to land at some point, but I didn't know how I was going to get to that landing. It's so got, the, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, I mean, it's got definitely got a sort of a, a very sort of loose, um, unstructured feel to it. But I mean, it's like you've got several, uh, like, you know, key amusing anecdotes that are like well structured um that i feel like these are the ones you're leading into and then it's a question of like okay well how do i lead up to that and then how do i link between them and that's that's where the real looseness comes in yeah it's funny because i couldn't actually re-watch the whole set because i find my voice so intolerable on stage like i really <laughs> can't enjoy it like um and for me what's really interesting is i remember that being a very good gig because I can remember all the audience's faces. And so you're not just listening for the laughter. You're looking at everyone's faces. Um, and loads of people were like smiling, grinning, silent laughing, clapping, all that sort of stuff. But when you listen back, you I, I mean, you can only hear a certain number. And I'm thinking, goodness, there were definitely more people enjoying it than that. But <laughs> my voice is so... Um, I think it's, it's really... I'll be interested to how people enjoy it just listening to the audio. Because... So much of it is in the body. Um, People can, of course, get access to the video uh, by uh, joining the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash quantum leopard. For a very modest sum uh, per month, uh, you have access to our full archive of uh, the live recordings. So uh, if you think uh, Elf is a delight to the ears uh, and you wish to supplement with a delight to the eyes, then uh, that's the place to do it end plug um yeah i mean like for the benefit of the tape um like you do come on in like some really fabulous but incredibly impractical cowboy boots and i feel that's an important explanation because otherwise that the audio at the beginning is going to be absolutely baffling um you also you don't use the mic for any of this set which is why the audience is quite high in the sound mix compared to a lot of the other recordings um and also early on in particular you're doing you're doing um what i would describe as as a lot of squatting um, I'm really, I'm really squatting, and also I couldn't, I didn't quite realise how often I am flashing my knickers. I think, like, I really, you do get a full-on waft, like you do see everything. You are selling the Patreon hard, Elf, in a way that I have not asked you to do, but I'm very grateful for. So the knickers for are beautiful as well. Like, I'm wearing really <laughs> lovely underwear, and the boots. Like, I've still, I've only actually worn the boots one more time since that gig, and that was at school on one Friday for the students. Because they're cat in the hat, Dr. Zeus, like thigh high nice. boots. Um, but they were totally impressed. But I think I was at a stage in my life where I was really trying to feel confident. In a- I was trying to be avant-garde, but in still quite a classy way. So I'm dressed like a woman at a funeral on top and then party <laughs> bay at the bottom. Uh, is that uh, a trajectory that you've kind of continued with or did that, uh, did that approach dire death at this gig? Do you know what? It's so funny, James, because do you remember? Because we first met, uh, I still remember the actual first interaction we had, and it was outside the Tron in 2010. Oh, crikey. And you okay. were doing an improv show, and you were sort of dressed like a Victorian, like, Victorian scientist. And I was wearing, I was in a period of time where I just wore loads of corsets, because I remember my mum told me that would be a good thing to do for my brand. Um <laughs> So I just, it's awful, isn't it? I just wore corsets. You know, this 19-year-old girl who just wore corsets. And I used to face paint my face. I was covered in glitter and I used to wear really over-the-top hats. But it's so funny how, I rem- when I see us both now, how much we're still eccentrically dressed, but we're so much more 
chill and relaxed because <laughs> now when I do gigs it is I like I still like to feel good but it's no way to that same le- level of avant-garde oh look I'm eccentric that I re- I was really pushing at that time yeah I've I've really in terms of my stage wardrobe like I've very definitely pared it down to what am I going to feel comfortable in because I've spent so long wearing things that are slightly uncomfortable in order to be a bit more formal because I'm playing a, a Victorian character or because I'm emceeing a gig and I feel that you need to be sufficiently formal for that so now I'm kind of yeah. going for like maximum ventilation like I've got like a long flowing waistcoat with no arms or like even a shorter waistcoat again with no arms because if it goes over about 20 degrees centigrade I start sweating hugely and like mm. nobody wants that i certainly don't want that it doesn't help my performance it doesn't help my comfort or the audience's comfort so it makes it, it makes a big difference gravity um, your place of gravity is really important like i've realized i'm much funnier when i don't wear shoes that's when interesting I, when i'm not wearing shoes and i'm flat and i'm properly earthed to the stage and i can actually really feel what's going on around me I'm so much more centred because what's when you watch this gig and I think it's also why my voice is as high and nasal as it is and why there is this weird sense of like frenetic is I I don't have my line of my gravity isn't and I make an ad lib about it but I'm not fully centred like I'm having to constantly lean forward or squat down because I don't have any connection to the stage because I'm wearing these ridiculous shoes like I genuinely remember going I'm not quite sure how to move in this outfit and so when i'm barefoot i'm much i'm much stronger it's interesting i mean you are literally off balance in those shoes i mean like that's that's what they are right they've got a fairly significant heel to them and they're kind of like they're basically pushing you over so i can i can yeah fully see why that would be uncomfortable yeah and they're a wobbly heel as well they're curved that's the like eccentric part of the shoes so they're meant to make you slightly rock in hindsight i don't know why the (laughs) fuck i bought them Someone with it, a spinal injury. I like don't know why I'm wearing them. Yeah, my spine is fucked, so I'm going to wear shoes that are basically like two unicycles. Like that doesn't <laughs> seem like a great plan, but I mean, you 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 work with it. So I mean, like, I, so I really like this is a really lovely, fun, and kind of chaotic opening. So I mean, like the, the conventional wisdom with a set is you come on stage, you deliver a single strong joke that um, maybe it tells you something about like um, you know who you are and it establishes you as a, as a character on stage um, just as your personality your environment etc etc um, but you very much don't do that right like you come on it's all personality it's you addressing your environment etc etc so like where does that approach come from is that part of like your kind of clowning background or is that something that was kind of more the specific circumstances on the night I think I think it definitely comes from that clowning background from Golia of just coming on stage and reacting exactly to the audience you have in front of you but also I think actually what your jokes are and what your content is is that's purely for you I actually think that's just for your own enjoyment as an artist on stage what the audience are really there for or what they buy a ticket for it's never the title of the show it's not really what the plot's about or the themes or they don't really care if you're single in your 30s or your dad died they are there to see you so for me just coming on stage and being fully myself I think it also immediately it's very unapologetic um and also for me, it's it's risky. Like none of that opening five, six, seven minutes actually is scripted. Yeah. Like yeah. There's, there's an odd line that obviously I've I've said before that I'll sort of pick out of the sky, but say before from either one one line, I can't remember which one it is. The last time I said that, I think I must have been about 25. And, you know, <laughs> you just, you're picking whatever it is there, what's relevant. And yeah. I think that makes it 
funny. I think I'm my most funny then. Though saying that, I wish my voice had been deeper because I, I can't stand the voice. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, I think it's I, nice. I think it's a breath. I think it's fun for the because especially also you you programmed me after I think John Luke Roberts had come on and John Luke is so erudite and succinct and well-timed yeah. and choreographed with his delivery um and I can't remember who else you had on but it made sense to then have me on afterwards if uh, you'd had lots of us improvisers then it might have been a bit doodle there's there's a, a definite method and art to uh, who I get in and how I put the lineup together for sure. Like having that sort of contrast is, I think, quite important to having, um, you know, a, a bill that is interesting to watch that's got some light and shade to it as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, did you have like anything approaching like a traditional like set list uh, for this uh, set? Or... It would have been whatever I was enjoying at the time. Yeah, yeah. That's very much, I just sort of, oh, actually, I changed it because I talk about my spine when I talked yes. about the 99. And I think that was because there was someone, I remember someone mentioning earlier that there was a doctor in the audience. Ah, so, um, okay. And I remember going, oh, well, they'll, they'll enjoy that bit. Um, <laughs> I like I like adapting to what the needs of the audience are. That makes me sound really grandiose. But, you know, if I've got an audience full of doctors, or it feels like an absolute waste to not go, oh, right, I've got a set that's, purely celebrating you lot yeah that isn't about my trauma but it's really like a funny analysis of the medical profession um i don't know it's i just remember coming on i remember not knowing what i was going to do and then i remember working out what i was going to do when i got onto the stage yeah that makes sense yeah 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 i mean it's funny that you say those things about adapting to the audience i mean there's a line in it you you joke about not really caring about audience enjoyment and that uh, is that something, I mean, how much do you mean that? It sounds like you definitely don't mean that. I do and I don't. I think it's to also remind the audience that it's a two-way agreement. And because <laughs> yeah. you get, it's a two-way, like if you, for example, if an audience, if I smile at an audience member and they smile at me, then great, we've got a good relationship already. But if they choose not to smile and it's a power choice on their behalf, I, yeah, I yeah. need them to be aware that my care for that is almost non-existent. <laughs> um, it's just to remind an audience as well that there are still rules yeah. that, and also that I don't, I think you get used to this idea that comedians really need you to laugh. They really need your approval. They really need your love mm-hmm. and validation. And I think sometimes that can be very anxiety juicing for your audience because then they feel yeah. pressured to laugh at things that they don't find funny. You see that on Friday and Saturday night crowds all the time as well. They've been trained to laugh in the spaces yeah not quite understanding what the jokes are um i don't know i just say that and then the audience go all right so she doesn't really care cool i feel maybe a little less stressed it's also like wow she's really confident (laughs) who does she think she is um and also it helps ease the tension if a joke doesn't land yeah because they know that i'm not going to be like well it really worked yesterday (laughs) you're not a very nice audience Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, how would you describe the version of yourself that you play on stage, first of all? I mean, it's it's exactly who you'd meet if you met me at a party and yeah. you didn't know anyone. And I knew that you didn't know anyone. That's exactly what I'd be like. Um, I think it's like friendly host, 
friendly host who has to be the weirdest person in the room to displace any tension and awkwardness mm-hmm. or ex-girlfriend of your current boyfriend and you're meeting at a party and she wants to make <laughs> it really clear that it's absolutely fine and she's really supportive of your next steps together and she's really happy that you guys are getting married but for my current show that I'm making narratively because it's now dredging into the world of theatre it's like the the audience do need to almost there needs to be a sense that I could have committed these murders that I'm talking about, and I'm like I'm finding it really difficult because I'm like I'm having to pretend to be a version of me that's not actually me then because I'm not going into the show with that so I end up getting really angry before I do the set because I'm like well I, this is pointless because it's not true I haven't actually murdered anyone <laughs> but then I come on really angry and then you think well maybe she has because I'm getting really pissed off at the whole structure I've written myself into I'm like this is so stupid this is such a stupid idea now I've got to come on stage dressed as a monster and tell everyone I've cut someone's dick off and I haven't and they obviously know I haven't otherwise I wouldn't be allowed to do the show yeah. so uh, I, I suppose your objection then is like acting is like pretending which is a lie and I don't like that yeah I find it really I like. I don't like it Right. I'm fine. I really do. I don't like it when someone's like, oh, it's the penny's gone. I'm like, it hasn't. It's not mad. You've just hidden it. <laughs> Why? I don't. You haven't yeah. really got my nose. That's clearly your thumb. Fuck off. Oh, my God. No. Like, piss off. <laughs> like, saying that, I do genuinely love magic. Because, I mean, that's the thing. Like, when you're on stage, like, whether you're doing the kind of stand up that you were doing on this night or whether you're doing your kind of clown stuff, which is a slightly different gear, like, I, I think a lot of that is about, like, boundary pushing, rule breaking, and not in, like, a tedious edgelord way, but just in a no. sort of, here is the frame of what you're expecting. I'm going to push a bit outside this. Yeah. And that goes from, like, everything from, like, putting the mic to one side to sort of, like, vaguely flashing your pants at the audience to telling anecdotes that go a little bit, uh, you know, very personal um, to, you know, your, your kind of clown shows where you are discussing like big topics in silly ways and vice versa um yeah. so so seeing you as like a sort of a a rules-based person that's absolutely not something that i would have thought of um either knowing you in in real life or, or from watching on stage but at the same time there are rules like i don't ask an audience to do anything they don't want to do mm. like i don't break the rule the clear societal rules of like i don't break consent i don't ask you to do anything you don't want to do i don't like in my head the rules are like basic human decency and like those are really really important to me and if if people don't do those like i I i've also noticed more so since lockdown like i get really upset in theaters like if i see people like on their phones or just talking like really to the point that now my ex who I live with is like we need to find a way for you to manage this because I I just cry like I cry now if I see someone on their phone in a theatre I can't I can't cope with it I find it really upsetting um but like on stage it's like I'm on the stage I'm in this square you are in your seats I'm not we know like for me there are very clear rules and so I know what the barrier so I've got my little playpen and I can go wild in my playpen on stage and you watch that and that's okay. And then I leave the playpen and then I'm not that person anymore because <laughs> it's fun playtime is over now. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm quiet through the rest of the acts and I watch and everybody's very kind mm-hmm. and then I go home. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, I find yeah, it really yeah. difficult when you meet people who are like literally exactly what they're like on stage as they are. Like they're still in comedy mode. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You've done it now. 
You don't you don't still be doing the comedy now. <laughs> it doesn't I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, I think it's interesting because you've got um there's a sort of a certain um sort of social pressure to be at least partially on as a comic off stage just because you're there with other comedians and like this is like your workplace and backstage is your staff room. So you've got there's a certain amount of like okay, well, uh, the sort of the soft skills that come with comedy, the networking, the schmoozing, the getting on with people that you need to be at least a bit on for if not necessarily mm-hmm. in quite the same high gear that you are on stage. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, moving on a little bit. Um, so, uh, you um, talk about characterization. So, um, you cast uh, your vagina as a Dickensian um, chimney sweep. Um, yeah. So, is that uh, is that just a, a stage persona for it? Is that um, is that a consistent character? No, I think I improvised that then, um, and I think I've only done it once. I think with someone in bed. <laughs> that was like genuinely. Did, did it, it go down as well? Up. Did it go down as well in that personal context as it did on stage at QL? Do, do you know what? I really do. I use my sexual partners to really test out material. Like, mm, mm, if mm. I think you can make someone laugh and you're both naked and you've both had sex so you're tired, I do think that's often, like, this strong sign it will work on stage. Shagging around is a pretty good way of workshopping new material. That makes sense. I honestly do think it's the reason I got nominated. <laughs> <laughs> Um, in terms of the the nine 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 and paramedic story, so this bit here, this feels like a you know this is a, a structured bit. It feels like an anecdote. Um, what you were saying earlier about like okay, well I'm I'm like the host at the party trying to make people feel comfortable. This feels almost like a sort of a like a party anecdote. Then that's kind of it feels like yeah. that's how you've workshopped it. Oh, um, absolutely! So, I'm so insightful. This is amazing. Um, so I mean, like it's got like it's got all of the classic things that you would expect from a story like uh, that is developed comedically. Like it's got the bridging jokes built in it's got like movement around in on the stage it's got various characters in it that you kind of like inhabit um so you know i mean you know obviously you've kind of like developed this through sort of um kind of social interactions and practicing it in a social context but is this a story that emerged like fully formed or did it go through a lot of edits to get there like what's your process for that um i wish you could see it now as well because it's so much funnier as well because i then did a gig for an nhs audience and i mentioned paramedics and the audience just like immediately cheered but they were like i was like and paramedics and i suddenly realized there were all these in jokes about paramedics that i obviously don't know because i don't know many paramedics so i just improvised like sort of gauge like really watching how the audience were reacting to what i was doing and then i came up ended up doing this amazing paramedic impression purely based off the way the audience were it's like, you know, when hot or cold, you know, that yeah, game, yeah, hot yeah. Or cold, based on how high their eyebrows and how much they were smiling, I was like, oh, this is this is a correct impression. And to the point that it got so hot, the audience were like, because I ended up doing an impression of the paramedics. It's like these beautiful, like guard dogs, like sniffing around the house and like looking at everything. It, was, <laughs> it doesn't sound funny to explain it, but it was it generally worked really well. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The story is entirely true. So I think the key thing, especially with personal material for me. And this is why I find something like something that like acts like Tony Law do really hard. Like I find, I watch him and I find it so funny, but I'm like, I don't know how you can do it mm-hmm. because for me, it's like it has. To, I I can't lie. I can't come on stage and go, oh yeah. So I went to space the other day and I saw an animal. So the truth, memory of it is, I was in bed. I realised I'd lost bladder and bowel control. Uh, my flatmates were all asleep. I couldn't move, but I had a phone underneath my bed. 
and I rang and I made the call and I rang 99 and they sent someone over. I didn't have a key under the mat um, and I had to genuinely try and crawl to get the audience them in. And I, I, I mean, it was so painful. And when I yeah. opened, sort of hobbled and managed to get the door open, they knew that there was something really problematic immediately because I was I was literally on the floor reaching up to open the door yeah and in hindsight it was this most stupid thing I could have done because Spinal. I should have woken up yeah I could have yeah. woken up I should have but again it's that I don't want to wake you you're you don't asleep. Want to be a bother. And I, yeah yeah so I undermine the joke by then saying they're musicians which sort of gets I can't remember if I did that but it's a silly it's a silly gag um because at the same time, it's also in my head, I'm like, it's true. That's a proper job. Same way drama and artists are. Anyway. Uh, so a lot of the characters um, in this story, they just get a single line to establish themselves and um, create an impression in the audience's mind of like who they are, what they're doing, their function within the story. So like, how do you how do you do that so quickly with a character? Um, I think that's just practice. I, but also going to... It should be really quick and succinct, I think, explaining a character on writing... Stephen King's got this brilliant bit, actually. Um, I actually could probably read it to you. It's on my Padlet because I'm trying to learn it for my show. Uh-huh. It's one of the best things, best pieces of advice. It's just superb. But this is literally what gets me through making any show. Um, look, so that, let me read it to you and you can edit it out. But So <laughs> he says, it's in On Writing by Stephen King. It says, look, here's a table covered with a red cloth. On it is a cage the size of a small fish aquarium. In the cage is a white rabbit with a pink nose and rimmed eyes. In its front paws is a carrot stub upon which it is contentedly munching. On its back, clearly marked in blue ink, is the numeral eight. Do we see the same thing? We'd have to get together and compare notes to make make absolutely sure, but I think we do. There will be necessary variations, of course. Some receivers will see a cloth which is turkey red. Some will see one that's scarlet, while others may see still other shades. Some may see scalloped edges. Some may see straight ones. Decorative souls may add a little lace and welcome. My tablecloth is your tablecloth. Knock yourself out. Um, it's, uh, what am I going to say? Um, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's a bit long, but it is. I think it's so valuable. Likewise, the matter of the cage leaves quite a lot of room for individual interpretation. For one thing, it is described in terms of rough comparison, which is useful only if you and I see the world and measure the things in it with similar eyes. It's easy to make careless when making rough comparisons. What am I going to say? On the table is a cage three feet, six inches in length, two feet in width and 14 inches high. That's not prose. That's an instruction manual. Um, I sent you a table with a red cloth on it, a cage, a rabbit and the number eight in blue ink. You got them all, especially that blue ink. We're engaged in an act of telepathy. No, mythy mountain shit. Real telepathy. I'm not going to belabor the point, but before we go on any further, you have to understand that I'm not trying to be cute. There is a point to be made. Um, And I think for me, that is one of the most important rules when I'm making anything or making a joke is that you don't need to be like, they were like six foot tall, they had long arms, she had really cool elbows, she had blue hazel. We don't need, the audience will make it funnier, quicker than you can. Mm-hmm. You you need to just get straight for me, like one sentence or one tiny detail is enough for the audience to laugh because by that point they filled it in with something funnier that relates to them. Nice. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah. Um, I know I just read a whole extract of on writing, but I do think for anyone who's interested in anything to do with writing and comedy, that book is the the go to. Um, yeah. So uh, I, another bit of characterization and casting here. So you cast your womb as this sort of grotto dwelling witch. Like again, is that just a stage persona for it? Is that something that was genuinely often? just improvised on stage? Yeah. Um, I think that was just that one time, and maybe I did it one more time to make someone ejaculate, and that was it. <laughs> so again, your uh, workshop material in that context. Yeah, honestly. Yeah. Cool. Pretty much. I mean, I'm probably presenting myself terribly, but I've got to be honest with the listener, James. Got to be li- yeah, honest. Yeah. I mean, if you can't be honest on a publicly available podcast, where can you be honest? Um. So, uh, guinea pigs. Right. I, I think of these as being like there are a lot of things that I think of as being an, an elf lines motif, uh, but guinea pigs are definitely up there. So, like, where does where does that come from? Is that a lifelong obsession? Is that um something you uh, picked up relatively recently? How does Elf Lions view the guinea pig? Um, I had a joke in Swan in 2017 about weird things. And I was like, adult men who own guinea pigs. And I just used to say that line and everyone would used to laugh. And then because I was under the impression that guinea pigs died after two years. And then someone came up to me afterwards and were like, guinea pigs actually live up to eight years. And there are lots of people who own guinea pigs. And I was like, oh. And then when I got sick and I was in the hospital after my spine went, 2019... To no, 2018. Um, I, because I was addicted to, I got addicted to morphing because I was on so much of it. Um, I just Googled pictures of guinea pigs all the time and I got really obsessed with guinea pigs. Um, and I ordered loads of guinea pig clothing and toys for guinea pigs that I didn't yet own. And then I rescued <laughs> guinea pigs and then I ended up writing for Guinea Pig Magazine. And I wrote for Guinea Pig Magazine up until March of this year because I had many guinea pigs then I had a lot of bereavements of old age and like tumors. It was no, it was genuinely really took care of them, but it was, it was too, it was too horrific. Actually, the grief of, I dream about them all the time. Like I really like they were the best animals in my life. Like I love them so much and I feel so much pain when I think about them, but guinea pigs are really, really important to me. So when I'm a bit older, I think less stressed, I might get more guinea pigs, but right now, I, but yeah, they're just beautiful animals. They're just really, really beautiful. And I think people saying guinea pig is funnier than dog or cat because we do. Mm. Everybody tell like thinks it's really funny to tell me a horrific guinea pig story, or like I've eaten guinea pig, and those people are horrible. Um, <laughs> but I always talk about guinea pigs because I think it's important that someone does PR. Uh, the guinea pig uh, cage story with the pickup and the party and all of this sort of stuff. So, again, this has um, uh, the sense of being sort of basically true, but with embellishment. So I, I want to know, like, how 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 true is this story? I mean, is it, for example, really the buffet that sealed the deal? Right. Like how, how much of this is a true story and how much of this is extra bits that you pulled in from other experiences? Well, actually, the truth. So the truth story, it was it was someone who's now a, it was a friend. Um, nothing to do with guinea pigs in it, actually. The, okay. a bloke simply invited me round for dinner to come to a sex party right. um, um, and then he served us two jacket potatoes and a bottle of Sancerre and <laughs> this the jacket potatoes being the bit that is definitely true I think that is it's, it's so funny isn't that, it because yeah. you wouldn't make that up no like that's and if you did you'd be a comedic genius yeah um, but like it genuinely is so it doesn't make any sense um 
What and was we his rationale this... for the for the two jacket potatoes? Like no feeling either. Second, <laughs> no feeling. That's just. But why? Like why? Why? Like I that honestly, feels like a very deliberate choice. I don't know. I don't, don't know. know. I, remember, I still remember putting his la- the latex on the end. I didn't put the latex on. I just went in like a cat suit thing that I brought myself. Yeah. There's so much more to it. But because of timings, that story has chopped and changed. And also the ending's totally different now because okay. I added it to Talk Dirty, my new one-hour stand-up show. And I, it's a perfect... The ending, I never knew how to really land. And now I've landed the ending because mm-hmm. I connect it to a callback from earlier. But it only really... It's got various endings now, depending if I'm doing it for a 10-minute set, 20-minute set, or a full hour. Oh, that's interesting. Depends how many, how many callbacks... I can fit in. Um, there was a woman who had chinchillas. I remember that. And there was a woman who had guinea pigs. And no, no, she had chickens. She had chickens. I changed it to guinea pigs. Just otherwise, it came. To, it became too weird. Yeah, you yeah. needed to center it slightly. And she did have a man a husband dressed as a dog. Um, and then I just added and mixed it in with other memories because it was purely time. How do you create the whole impression of this bizarre space? in like what is effectively five minutes so it was often just condensing characters into one this whole story flows like it's one single narrative arc and from what you've been saying there like so much of it is pulling like it's a it's a composite story like it's uh this sort of gestalt entity that's got these different elements at the beginning of the story you pull from different bits of your experience the the characters are slightly different because he's not a stranger from gumtree with a guinea pig cage he's a mate of yours that and you're um going to this party and you're not going into it like naively like you're you're going along like you know knowing like what you're doing basically mm-hmm. right um and similarly with the the bit towards the end the sequence with like the several people in the room like again you kind of pull different bits from different experiences around that to make up that scenario um but the thing itself feels like a sort of very well-rounded like dinner party anecdote again with all the bridging jokes and the, the flow of the yeah. narrative all the way through it um yeah well like the guy with the books so the book cage is another person right but their story's not funny on its own going to buy a guinea pig cage from a guy who just had loads of books so i was like the two things happened i think within the same week of each other i was like this makes sense like look sometimes you gotta kill your darlings and then smush (laughs) them together and create a monster yeah this is very much like a frankenstein's monster of a story i I don't think it's a monster because i think i think what you've done by cutting and shutting those two darlings together is what you've actually done is create a better darling uh, that people enjoy more so i think yeah. that's perfectly reasonable but it, it's never an analogy that should be taken into the real world i think yeah i, yeah. I won't use it in class good <laughs> um lovely so i mean like i mean like the, the sort of the the moral um of that uh, anecdote is you know you never know where you find your people right like that's delivered yeah. as that's delivered as a punchline but it feels like that is like a sincere this is the moral message right like you know yeah the truth inside you all along was the friends you made along the way right like yeah. that's that's what that is so i i take it from what you're saying here that that is like that's a sincere thing that is the sincere yeah. outcome of these experiences well also like that routine is embellished further and further and further because i do go to kink clubs a lot so like over the time i've met say the same people i've met new characters and also my i think jokes can only get better with knowledge yeah um and you know i know so much now about those scenes that that routine when i do do it goes into a totally dream like because i think when i did it at quantum i'd only done it 
you know, I had only done about five or six gigs post-COVID. Mm-hmm. So mm. in that routine, I'd started pre-COVID. It happened, that event had happened February of that year, of 2020. So in its formation, it was still like a very exciting time to tell that story when I did it at QL. Um, now, because I've gone to a lot more kink clubs, it has sort of developed into something much larger. Punchlines don't have to be at the end. You can yeah. punch in the middle. So there's so lots you- of punchlines throughout. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think of those, I would classify those as bridging jokes. I, I think you definitely need like a punchline at the end of a segment or sequence. But I think it definitely makes sense to have those like those micro punchlines throughout. I think that's the only way to keep an audience's interest throughout a longer anecdote. Like you want them to know that you are driving the car and you know what you're doing and you're going to have like little pit stops along the way to stop at the services, go for a wee, have a sucky sweet or whatever. And that's what the bridging jokes are. They're the little pit stops that let an audience know that you, you're driving the car and you know what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Okay. Um. So, uh, finally, uh, Elf. Um, if there's one thing that you could say to yourself at the age of eighteen, with all your lifetime of accumulated wisdom, what would it be? You don't need to wear the corsets. <laughs> yeah, it's a good answer. Good answer. So, um, thank you very much for um uh, chatting to me today, Elf. That was super lovely and great. And thank you for a wonderful set. Um, if people want to um keep up with the things that you're doing, uh, come to your shows, that sort of thing. Where should they look you up? Um, so you can go on my website, theelflions.com. You can follow me on Instagram at elflions, on Twitter at elflions. Um, you can listen to my horror show, Gorgon, a horror story on Bandcamp. So if you Google that, you can listen to it for free and then buy it because that would be nice. Um, it's one hour immersive audio horror foley show. And then I'm on tour currently throughout the UK with my show Raven with Mick Perra management so you can book tickets for that and that's got a two week run at the Soho Theatre as well so that's really exciting and I'm also in the process of starting up a podcast with my dad talking about economics called What the Fuck is Economics Um, because he's an economist and we discuss economic issues uh, in a fun and playful and silly way lovely stuff okay thanks much Elf Um, thanks for talking to me go and check out those things and thanks very much bye 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 was the quantum leopard podcast uh, if you want to catch a live show in london look us up at uh, linktree uh, forward slash quantum leopard to sign up to the mailing list uh, we will never take advertising because advertising is cultural poison but from each according to their ability to each according to their need so if you enjoyed our guests in your ears but would like them in your eyes as well uh, we have uh, videos of whole shows up on patreon.com forward slash quantum leopard we only charge when a new live show video comes out if you enjoyed the show why not give us a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice and or share this episode on the socials editing was by uh, Reese Lawton who is uh, conventionally attractive and fun at parties uh, music was composed and produced by Rooks Production Services at, at I am Rooks on the socials that's Rooks with an E uh, the Quantum Leopard podcast is distributed and licensed under a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial no derivatives 4.0 international license which means you can share it as much as you like but don't uh, change it or sell it in any way because I will find out where you live uh, kind love and see you soon bye Oh god, sorry, I thought there was a ghost coming into my room and then I realised it's my ex bringing a cup of coffee. Thank you.